always made me feel like family. I mean that from the bottom of my heart, and you know that. Uh, I was talking with Pastor today. I came in last night. Brother Thane picked me up, and we had a good chat coming from the airport. And then uh, Pastor and I have had a good day today, and we talked about several things. But uh, I said, I believe it was 1997, the fall of 1997, when I came through this church for my first time. And uh, these last 22 years have just been great. I thought I had made every year. Pastor said, no, you missed a couple. And he's probably right. When I went to the Black Diamond Farm, uh, I probably did miss a couple years right there when I first got into that. Uh, I came off the road uh, in, 19, well, anyway, four years ago, thinking that we were going to upstart a, a drug and alcohol rehab in, uh, in Lexington, Kentucky. And I mean, a lot of effort, a lot of money, and a lot of time was spent in trying to do that. The need is still great. That's what blows my mind. The need is great, but we could not get an occupancy permit. And of course, uh, Mr. Duffy finally gave up and he said, enough is enough. And he just closed the doors and it took it then an extra year to sell it. So I was there one year. And I just felt like I was in limbo. I mean, at first I thought I was going to have a good ministry there, counseling and whatever they needed me for. But then uh, th that didn't happen. In the last year, we, we weren't spending any money. We weren't doing anything. And you just felt like you was in limbo. I did uh, hook up with a church down there, a new church plant with Dan Botrell uh, in Louisville, Kentucky. And uh, Dan and his family, uh, I tell you what, they have been wonderfully good to me as well. I uh, thank God for them. My, my motor home, I went back into a motor home. I, when I moved out of the Black Diamond Farm, uh, I didn't know anything else to do. That I, I lived in a motor home for 20 years, and I thought that's what you're supposed to do until I came off the road. And when it wasn't there anymore, I thought I better get me another one because this is what I know how to do, you know. So I'm back on the road, not, not in a manner as I once was, uh, but I will be out uh, visiting churches as I am here tonight in other churches. Um, but, I, you know, I'm just an old sinner saved by the grace of God. And I'm, by God's grace, and I've given it here before, but on Wednesday night, pastor is going to give me another opportunity to preach, and I'm going to give my testimony again. Uh, I started the Barnabas ministry in 19, well, anyway, I think it's been, in fact, around 2021 years, whatever year that was. I forget, 97, I believe, maybe. No, that was, yeah, no, yes, 1997. And so I'm going to give my testimony and what God has done for me and for my family. You know, you, I can give a life testimony now. I mean, it's not just what God does for me. It's what he does for my children and for my family and for those I get to serve with. You know, uh, my ministry has always been about uh, serving pastors and missionaries at home and abroad. And uh, I thank God for each and every one that I've been able to serve. And uh, it's just a blessing to serve our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's, he's been so wonderfully good to me. And, uh, you know, it's funny how there's a lot of times of discouragement in churches. There's a lot of fires to put out. Uh, and you know what? I'm not a pastor. Never will be. But I've been... I've, for 20, 20 years, I was around a pastor every day. I mean, I was serving pastors every day, and I seen the battles that they go through. And you know what? As long as you're just sitting on the back half and not doing anything, you're not going to get any problems. But, you know, as this church, as I've watched it uh, from the time the pastor took over up until now, uh, 
There's been a lot of battles to fight, and it's always tough, not only just for the pastor and his family, it's tough for the congregation. And you know, and Satan cometh but to kill, steal, and destroy. That's exactly what he wants to do. He wants to kill time spent with your friends. He wants to destroy lives, and that's just exactly what he's here for. And you know, he knows he's a defeated foe. But I tell you what, by God's grace, uh, we're going to, we're on the winning side. That doesn't even matter. We're on the winning side. We may not feel like it at times, but we are. I thought it very helpful. How many have been here for over 10 years? For over 10 years? Well, I preached this message 10 years ago, but I'm preaching it again tonight. I hope it's a message that will encourage uh, those who are here tonight and uh, it encourages me every time I'm able to, to preach it. It lets me know that there is a wonderful world to come. I'm telling you what you just hear, heard tonight about six policemen being shot in, in Pennsylvania. I mean, how many times have we heard over the last few months, you know, the place that we live in? You, you just feel like at times you almost lose hope. You think, wow, where's America going, you know? But tonight, uh, by God's grace, I'm going to preach out of Isaiah 35. You can go ahead and uh, turn there if you want to. Isaiah 35. And as I was um, looking over this today, uh, and again, I, I've give, given these same illustrations and every time, every time I do it, and, uh, but I always ask people, how long does it take you to get ready for a trip? Well, I just came out here, and, you know, it didn't take me too long. I know what's out here. I got clothes in the Monday's closet. I don't have to bring much with me. As a matter of fact, the, the lady, I, I had a little briefcase, and I was, of course, I was flying Frontier, and you got to be careful what you carry on Frontier. You, it's going to cost you big money on, on Frontier. But I just had that little, she said, how long are you going to be gone? And I said, 10 days. She said, I'd have at least three suitcases if I was going. That was the pastor's daughter, and she probably would have. So anyway... But how long does it take you to get ready for a trip? And it does depend on where you're going. If you're just going down to the store to get a loaf of bread and a quart of milk, you know, you jump in the car, you go. You don't really don't think much about it, you know. And if you know, if you're going, uh, one, I know, I don't know how many years back, I think it might have been 1997, or I, I just met up with Michael Raines, uh, and, uh, who's uh, been over in Africa for 20-some years. And uh, Michael told me that, you know, when I came over there, I mean, it was a, it really was, it was a, big trip and you, you knew, knew you shouldn't forget anything. If you forgot anything, you weren't going to go back and get it, you know, because you, and I was going to be over there quite a while. Uh, I remember going to Mexico. I think it was in 19, um, again, the, the years passed me by. I ought to write these down. Uh, years come and go and I pass me by. But I, I was going to be down there for a year and a half. And I remember my preparation for going down there. I, I just didn't take my little briefcase down there. I loaded up my little truck and uh, I put my study books in there and the things that I would need for the length of time that I was going to be there. Um, he was talking about Brother Gaylor Carter, who uh, I was able to serve with over in Australia and, uh, and, and seen pictures of him yesterday. And, and Brother Gaylor is failing in health. You uh, Had I probably seen him and not, not seen that picture and told who it was, it would have been hard for me to recognize him, Brother Gaylor. But what a blessing that was to go over there and serve. But I'll tell you, when I was going over there, again, that's halfway around the world. I think there's about 13 hours difference in our time clocks. And, and you have to do a lot of preparation before you go north because you're not going to 
You're not going to be able to run back to the corner store and get what you want or back to your house and get a little something. So it's quite a thing to prepare when you're going these long distances. So I want to tell you tonight of a wonderful world to come. And if I'm going to spend a thousand years somewhere, I want to be prepared and I want to know a little something about it. And tonight we're going to try to find that out reading Isaiah 35. Uh, you know, Isaiah 35, it's a millennial passage of scripture. And the Bible says, the wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them. And the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall, be, it shall blossom abundantly and rejoice even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given unto it. The excellence of Carmel and Sharon, they shall see the glory of the Lord and the excellency of our God. Strengthen ye the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees. Say unto them that are fulfilled for heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God with a recompense. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as in heart, and the tongue of the dumb sing, for in the wilderness shall, shall waters break out, and streams in the desert. And the parched ground shall become as a pool, and the thirsty land springs of water in the habitation of dragons, where each lay shall be grass and reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there, and a, and, and a way, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for those the wayfaring men, though fools, shall not err therein. No lion shall be there, nor any ravenous beast shall go thereupon. It shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with songs and everlasting joy upon their heads, and they shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow, and Zion shall flee away. This world brought in in this passage will not be brought in by the works of man, but predicated on the word and the works of God. With all man's trying to make a utopia, and boy, many have tried that, there's two problems that exist that man has ne never been able to solve, and that's sin and death. And we can go all the way back to Socrates or all these new modern inventions like Heaven's Gate. There's been a lot of them that wanted to make a utopia here on this earth, but man has never been able to make that utopia, and they will not be until the Lord comes back. When the new kingdom comes in, it will be fully grown. And every time I read about this new world to come, it is preceded, centered, or followed by the work of one person, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And before it will come in, it will be preceded by troubles and tribulation as this world has never seen. It is not coincidental that chapter 34, filled with tribulations, precede chapter 35, ushering in this new world. I believe Isaiah 34 is about Armageddon. So what will your new world be like? And the best word for it is perfect. You know, uh, when you try to explain a word like perfect, you, you cannot add an adjective to something that's, you know, that's supposed to be perfect. You can't say almost perfect or true. It can't be almost true, uh, pure. Uh, you don't want to drop one little drop of cyanide in there and say it's almost true, almost pure, so you can go ahead and take a drink, you know. But it's, it's, this new world will be perfect. And number one, it will be politically perfect, ruled by Jesus Christ himself from Jerusalem, 
the saints, that's us who are saved, will live and reign with Christ. There will be positions of authority. The Bible says, Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many. And similar, but not like this world, they will be selected by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Can you even imagine politics being perfect? I tell you what, that would be enough reason to get saved right there just to see politics perfect. And right now, we have the, must, the, the best money can buy, if you know what I mean by that. Imagine, though, just imagine never having to have an election, never having a scandal, every person in every position appointed by Christ himself for a thousand years. Uh, I'm not going to get into it, but you need to read sometime in your spare time and, and let these dovetail together, Isaiah 11. So, but it's not only going to be politically perfect, but it's going to be geographically perfect. And if you think about that, just think ecology, no floods, no famines, no earthquakes, no tornadoes, no tsunamis. I mean, all these things, it's just, with the ecology, it will be perfect. It's a world at peace with itself. Where it says, the Bible says, we'll have deserts that will become springs of living water. You know, I've lived in places that needed irrigation. Uh, for example, right here in Colorado, this is the first time that I ever saw the, the ditches and the pipes. And one of the first times I come out and I was looking at that, what are these guys doing? Siphoning that stuff out there, watering all this stuff, you know. I came from Indiana to where sometimes you wanted to shut the rain off. Everything was green and, and all that. But it's, it's just really different, you know, when you think about uh, having to do that and then the other people wanting to shut the rain off. And I've always, like I said, I've also lived in areas that had a, an abundance of rain. Down in Kentucky this last year, I didn't think it was ever going to shut off down there, you know. But this is what this new world, and it's what it's going to be like. It's going to be perfect. The Bible says in verse 1 there, it says, The wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them, and the desert shall blossom as a rose. Here are the extremes that God will go to to make this new world perfect. Verse 2 says, it shall blossom abundantly and rejoice even with joy and singing. It says, the glory of Lebanon shall be given unto it. The excellent of Carmel and Sharon, they shall see the glory of the Lord and the excellent of our God. The glory of Lebanon, I believe it's referring to the mountains. Carmel, I think it's referring to the seashore, Sharon, the flatlands. You say, well, I like the mountains. Well, they will be there. You say, well, I like the seashore. I believe it will be there. You say, well, I like the flatlands. Well, I grew up in Indiana where it's flat as a pancake, and I just, I, I enjoy the mountains. And th but regardless, if you like the flatlands, it'll be there. But most of all, most of all, Jesus Christ himself will be there. Folks, I'm telling you right now, we have raped this land from Genesis 2.15 to Revelation 20. We're God's servants, but we've destroyed the land. The air is dirty, the water is unsafe, and the soil is polluted in many, many areas. You know, I was in Washington State in 1997, and I noticed a sign on the side of a building that says, and there were three globes. You have to sort of picture three big globes of the world. And, and under the first, it says, cleaner water. And above the second one, it said, cleaner air. And below the third, it said, richer soil. And then all the way over to the right, it said, then... It said, let us build a better world together. 
That, that is a wonderful thought, and we ought to be try, trying toward that. But the world they're talking about will not appear until Jesus Christ comes back to rule and reign again. But I just want you to imagine a world at peace with itself. Never have to worry about the barometric pressures coming in and causing a hurricane. Never have to worry about a drought or a flood, no tornadoes, no tsunamis. It's a world at peace with itself. And I want to tell you something. I wouldn't miss it for nothing. It's definitely political correct. It'll be geographically correct. But, you know, it's a world of physical perfection. You think about our prayer list tonight. I'm telling you what, every church that I go into... I don't care how small it is, they have a big prayer list. You know, and it says in verse 5, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. And when you talk about all the people that are deaf or hard of hearing in the United States of America, combined with all that have speech problems, you're talking about millions of people. One out of every three Americans either has a mental, emotional, or physical disability that interferes with his employment. You know, one of us in this room either has a problem, or if we live long enough, we will have a problem. It's just that simple. And presently, there are a thousand under the age of 18 who are both deaf and blind. Thousands. And if you're not physically disabled, you will be if you live long enough. And I know all this seems discouraging, and Barnabas International is supposed to be a ministry of encouragement, and I hope it is. But let me encourage you with the fact, in this new world to come, the day will come where every believer will have a new body. You know, no sickness, no headaches, no cancer, no heart problems. I'm telling you, you can't even make the, you, you, if you list, try to list a long list, you'll forget something for sure on your list. But you know what your friends are struggling with. You know what you're struggling with, maybe. But I'm talking in this new world, I'm talking perfection. This new world is made for people that are uh, physically perfect. No one, will feel in, no one will feel inferior. No one will feel, ever, ever be blind. No one will be deaf, no lame. I'm telling you, the hospitals and all these places are totally out of business, folks. Every believer... Every believer will have a glorious body like our Lord's glorious body. It's a world of political perfection, a world of geographical perfection, a world of physical perfection, and number four, it's a world of spiritual perfection. Can you even imagine? I can't. Uh, if someone can, I'd like to talk to you after the service, and I want you to sort of help explain this to me. It's a world without Problems. Can you imagine a world being like this, living in a world for a thousand years with no Satan, no satanic influence, no influence to do evil, where doing right is normal? It's natural. Verse 8 says, And a highway shall be there, and a way, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for those. The wayfaring men, though fools, shall not err therein. No lion shall be there, verse 9. No lion shall be there. The devil has a roaring lion. Not there anymore. He's gone. 
nor any ravenous beast shall be there, but the redeemed shall walk there. Folks, the redeemed, that, that's you and I if you're saved tonight. And if you're not saved tonight, boy, how I would love to share the glorious gospel with you. Uh, like I'm going to do, to tell about my salvation on, on Wednesday night. I, I just want to, anyone that's not saved, this message is not for you. This is if folks who are saved. And I want you to know this. I'm so far short of what I should be. And I have failed God and many other peoples even since I've been saved. I don't want to anymore, but I, I have. And I can't even imagine, cannot even imagine, never having to go to God again and telling him I'm sorry. Never failing again. Not, not even having to worry about John 1, 9. I'm telling you, spiritual perfection. Can you grasp that? Boy, I, I can't, but I want to someday. But we will be like him. That's what the Bible says. It's a world of political, geographical, physical, spiritual, and last but not least, it is a world of psychological perfection. Verse 4 says, To those who are of a fearful heart, Verse 10 talks of songs of everlasting joy. Are, are these not all psychological? Verse 10 goes on to say, And sorrow and signs shall flee away. Are those not psychological? Imagine, imagine living in a world with nothing to fear. You know, today people are afraid to go to Walmart anymore because you can know what can happen any place you go. Uh, you know, in all the foreign countries, you know, I always just thought it was the foreign, the third, third world-type countries that had all these things to worry about, you know. And, and I've seen it over there. But, folks, uh, you know, if we didn't have the Lord, and if our faith and trust wasn't in Him and Him alone, we would have something to fear. But He says that He has not given us the spirit of fear. But this new world is a world with no sorrows. And let me interpret sorrow, if you would. No regrets. Can you imagine living in a world without regrets? You know, no matter who we are, and I don't care how small or how big, we all live with regrets, you know. Uh, when I look at my life, I want you to know this. I have no right to be here in front of all you even preaching the gospel tonight. But God has been so, so wonderfully good to me, but I have many, many regrets. The only thing I am is just an old sinner saved by the grace of God. And in this new world, there will be no regrets, no sorrows. It will all be erased. No more heart-breaking agonies. And if you have not experienced heart-breaking agony, again, you just live long enough and you will. You just let some of your loved ones maybe go through cancer or, or uh, I mean, live, I mean a, a serious automobile accident or, or whatever the situation be, and you'll, you'll know what heartbreaking agony is. And, well, you say, yeah, and then I say you might ask what heartbreaking it is. You know, Glenn Matthews, who I always say is responsible for this message, tells a story after his mother uh, died. He'd been married, I think they had been married something like 50-some years. And when she passed away... Glenn went to stay with her and to sort of to comfort her. And, and as he did, he said at night sometimes he would just hear her in there whimpering. And he said, I didn't know where to go in, where not to go in. He said, finally one night I just went in. I said, Mom, you, you, you are, you're whimpering. As you said, it just doesn't stop. And she said, Son, 
I've cried all I can I cry. She said, I was married to your dad for 50-some years. She said, I miss him. Heartbreak and agony. I, I thought about it, and it's been many years now. I, I still think about 9-11. You know, September 11, 2001. You know what? I can't even imagine when those twin towers were hit, the clergymen and the policemen and the people that had to go from house to house breaking the news that their loved ones were not going to be coming home. You know, and I'm talking, again, heart-breaking agony. Um, in June 29th of, I think it was 2000, in my home church, and I know I've told this story too before, uh, Sam Goebel and his family was at an evening service. It was raining hard. We had a thing where you could pull under the portico, but uh, little, the little son was, I forget what his age was, but he was in there with dad, and he seen his mom leave, and they were in separate cars, and he wanted to go out to get to his mom and maybe to tell her goodbye or whatever, but she didn't see him, and she ran over him right there in front of the church. And I would talk to Sam, and I asked him how he's doing, and I said, do you mind talking about it? He said, no, I love to talk about it. He said, but he said, Gary, he said, uh, I'm doing the best I can. He said, but my wife is not doing, that, doing well. He said that people offered them vacations and to get away and to do this and to do that, you know, but I'm telling you, I, I can't even comprehend that. I, I've put seven, six or seven generations in, in the, in the, uh, in the uh, grave, and, but I'm telling you what, for a, a young child like that, it's just hard for me to believe. I, I put a, my mother and my grandparents, my parents, my brother, my daughter, my grandson, my great-grandson, and in, in, I've been to the funeral for each of those. And I'm telling you what, that's what you call, that's when things are serious. We have problems today that we call we're having problems. They're not problems at all. They're just little skiffs in the road, you know what I mean? And we just need to really think about what true problems really are. And I do tell this story, I love to tell it still because I, I just loved my, my 21-year-old daughter, but in February of 1990, heartbreaking agony came a whole lot closer to my house than I ever wanted it to. Uh, Jody, uh, who uh, was 21 years old, uh, she was uh, getting ready to go out to do the laundry at the house and evidently, my three-year-old grandson, Christopher, knocked the car out of gear, and she got crushed between the two cars. And she was pregnant, 26 weeks pregnant with their second son, Jairus Edward. And I, I'm telling you what, uh, she uh, was pinned between there for a while. They lifelined her to Indianapolis. And, and I'm, I, was, I was home, by God's grace, from Bible College. And I got in my car, and I drove to Indianapolis. And it was amazing to me when I, I didn't even know what hospital it was. I didn't know where she was at. My son-in-law had called me and he said, uh, Dad, he said, uh, Jody's been in an accident. They're lifelining her to Indianapolis. He said, I said, do you need a ride? I thought he might be in Bloomington needing a ride to head up there. He said, no, I'm fine. I'll see you there. And hung up on me. I mean, I wasn't done talking. I wanted to know. I had a lot of questions. But anyway, I drove up there. My brother was working at the, the one hospital. So I just drove in where he was working. And by God's grace, I started seeing cars that I recognized. It was amazing to me, totally amazing. And I, I that God led me right there where she already was. And I, I went in there, and, and I want to tell you, I had a loss when my daughter died. And she finally did. She gave birth to Jairus Edward, and then she passed away the, the 18th of February, 1990. That was a loss. But when I looked at my son-in-law... 
Jimmy Kunz, and seen what he had lost. He lost his best friend. He lost his wife. He lost his bed partner. He lost his cook, his cleaner, the mother of his children, etc., etc., etc. I'm telling you right now, that's what heartbreaking agony really is. It's not that you didn't get the new car you wanted or the new house you wanted. Those things are wood, hay, and stubble when it comes to losing a family member, having one with cancer, having one that's in a, laid up in a car accident, you know, maybe for months or maybe never recover. I, I think of my dear friend Charlie Parrish. Don't you think I don't? Brother Charlie Parrish was just at his home one night, and when, when a person come to the door and knocked on it rapidly, thought there was a problem, as he opened that door, they shoved in on that door, and Charlie was knocked to the ground. Uh, he had 57 stitches in his head. Uh, he had a broken arm in two spots, a crushed jaw, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And Charlie is still st struggling after two months to be what he once was. I'm talking heartbreaking agony, folks. The Bible says in verse 10, and sorrow and sighing shall all flee away. You say, but Brother Norris, that would leave a vacuum. No, because in its place, in its place will come, it says right here, songs and everlasting joy. Verse 10 says, and the ransom of the Lord. I want you to remember, folks, if you're saved, that is you. The ransomed of the Lord. We've been ransomed. You know what I mean? And if you're not, again, I want to discuss that with you tonight after the service. It says they shall return and come to Zion with songs and everlasting joy. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed by his infinite mercy, his child and forever I am. Folks, I want to tell you something. There is, there are a lot of things in this old world that I don't understand. I really don't. But I don't know. <clears throat> Hopefully there's no one sitting under the preaching tonight that is not saved. But I don't know. I've preached it before in other places. And I wonder how it's possible to just sit and listen to what the Word of God, not what Gary Norris says, but to what the Word of God says on this subject how there truly is a wonderful world to come, a world of total perfection, and yet there are so many, so many, that are willing to give all of this up for the pleasures of sin for a season. I'll guarantee you there is a sin for a season, and that season is very short. Folks, we don't have to miss it. If one will just put their faith and trust in Christ, in Christ alone, you can live there. For 42 years, I put my faith and trust in a religion, in, in, in circumstances, in all the things, in my good works, in everything but what I should have, and that was the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you'll do that, if you, just, if you haven't, you need to do that tonight. But if you have, you not only can live there, you will live there. But you know what? This is one thing that always blows my mind when I even preach this. I do have one thought for you to ponder in ending this message. This wonderful world, and I believe me, as great as it is, folks, and it is wonderful, this is just the millennium, and heaven is yet to come. Father in heaven, 
how we do love you, how we thank you, how we praise you. <clears throat> Lord, as we gather in a place like this tonight, it's all by your grace. Lord, there may be decisions that need to be made tonight. I don't know what they are. If there's anyone that needs to be saved, I know what that one is. But you know, I can preach a message on this, and you can speak to someone's heart about something else. And if someone needs to make a decision right now, Lord, we just sort of bow our heads, give it a thought that you're in control, you can speak to hearts, and Lord, if you're speaking, I just pray that that one person tonight is listening and will respond to your words. <coughs> we just thank you and praise you for what you've done, and Lord, we thank you for all you're going to do if we'll submit our hearts and lives to you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Pastor, you want